Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review, but most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. Hello, everybody. What's going on? It's another Tuesday of the Say Hey Podcast, episode 24. Yes, the reason why that's symbolic is because the legendary Willie Mays wore the jersey number 24, and that's kind of what this podcast is named after. You know, the Say Hey Kid, the Say Hey Podcast. So definitely a sentimental episode. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast. I'm your host, James Donahue, as I am for every show. And I've got a good show for you today. Before we dive into the meat of the show, uh, and that's going to be the most impactful postseason performances and moments of the 2010s, before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and just give you some updates and news and notes from around our team. So hopefully you stick around, hopefully it piques your interest. Let's go ahead and dive right into it. Starting with the first news, Kevin Gosman accepts the qualifying offer from the Giants, which again is only a one-year deal. And yes, probably like you, I was a little disappointed to see that it was only a one-year deal. But then you have to remind yourself that it's really hard for teams to hand out multi-year deals in this climate and this market because of COVID. A lot of teams don't really know what their budget looks like because the future of fans being able to come to the ballpark is still uncertain. Especially, of course, if you live in California, you know why that's even more uncertain uncertain. Um, So with this signing, I feel like in my opinion, it buys time for both parties to reach a multi-year, multi-year, excuse me, year agreement for the future once the Giants are more aware of exactly how much they have to spend. Moving on to some other news, which really does make me sad. It's that Drew Smiley has signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Braves. I know what you're thinking, James, why are you sad? Well, because He absolutely dominated in 2020. James, you mean during the limited time he performed? Yes. Although his 2020 success derives from a small sample, Smiley was able to show teams a lot in that small sample size. Hence, the $11 million he earned in 2021 versus the $4 million he earned in 2020. I think the performance that stands out to me the most was his outings against the San Diego Padres, a.k.a. one of the best offenses in all of baseball. In nine total innings pitched against the Padres, Smiley collected 18 strikeouts and produced an ERA of three. I won't spend much time on Smiley simply because he is not on our team anymore, but the last thing I'll say is don't be surprised if you see Smiley continue to succeed in 2021 due to his increased velocity in his fastball put on display with the Giants and the increased amount of times he paired that fastball with his devastating curve. Another pitcher that the Giants could land and have been rumored to be interested in is Jake Odorizzi. I think... The former 2019 All-Star would be a perfect fit for the Giants, especially since 2020 consisted of the majority of time spent on the injury list for Odorizzi. 
Some players that I mentioned that might have been a good fit for the Giants in episode 19 of the Say Hey podcast were Robbie Ray and Marcus Stroman. They've already re-signed. They've already been re-signed by their former team, so maybe Odorizzi isn't a bad option at this point, especially since the Giants are now building a reputation of reviving veteran pitchers' careers as we saw this past year with Gosman and Smiley. All right, other news. Yeah, we kind of have a lot of news this week. Another acquisition has been made by the Giants, and that is signing an infielder by the name of Jason Vossler, who is a former Cubs and Padres prospect. The Giants signed him to a major league contract and also added him to the 40-man roster. So, what do we know about him? Well, I personally have never heard of him, but he is a left-handed infielder that can play third base. So, Yes, that's exactly what the Giants were looking for heading into this offseason. A left-handed bat and also platoon help at third base and possibly first base, infield help in general. He had a productive season in AAA for the Padres when he produced a .291 batting average in 116 games and also hit 20 home runs in 2019. We all know heading into this offseason that Farhan Zaidi and the Giants had a priority to go out and add another left-handed bat in order to even out their lineup against right-handed pitching. So apparently Vossler had a .934 OPS against right-handed pitchers in 2019. So maybe the Giants are on to something here. I can't really say. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Farhan Zaidi has found another diamond in the rough. Since he's the person responsible for fi- for discovering Max Muncy, Mike Shremsky, and Ioannis Cespedes. All right. All right. This is the last bit of notes I have, and it's not that exciting, but it's kind of cool. It's that Mike Shremsky and Brandon Belt receive MVP votes. Yes, I'm sure you heard that Freddie Freeman was named the 2020 NL MVP, but something you might not be aware of is the fact that Yaz finished 8th in MVP voting, and Belt also received a 9th place vote. So... That's pretty sick. Nothing too crazy, but the fact that people are acknowledging how good uh, those two players were during the 2020 season, that was pretty awesome. Also, just a little bit last-minute votes. If you have not seen the Hall of Fame ballot yet for 2021, we've got some uh, retired Giants names on there, obvious ones being Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. I think Tim Hudson also made it and Barry Zito, so that's pretty exciting. But other than that, that is all the news and notes I have for our team. Moving on to the best part of the show, and that's going to be the most impactful postseason performances and moments of the 2010s. Now, if you remember in last show, I talked about some of the best trades in Giants history, in my opinion. And the reason why they were some of the best trades is because the players they went out and got uh, turned into some of the biggest postseason performers during the 2010 postseason, 2012, and 2014 postseason as well. With that being said, I kind of thought it would be cool to just break down those all three postseasons, the dynasty years, and kind of just relive some of the amazing performances that we witnessed throughout those years. All right, so before we go into the main list, there's a few performances that didn't quite make it, but they're still honorable mentions. So we're going to go ahead and start with those first. And the first one is going to be Matt Moore versus the Cubs in 2016. Now, I know I mentioned Matt Moore as one of the worst trades in Giants history, but the way he pitched against the Cubs in 2016 postseason uh, was simply 
phenomenal. He pitched eight innings, only gave up two runs, and struck out 10 Cubs hitters. Of course, as most of you know, and as I mentioned before the podcast already, the Giants would not only go on to lose this game, but they would also go on to lose this series against the Cubs. And the reason why I appreciate this performance so much is because Moore gave the Giants a strong fighting chance against the Cubs, who could who would actually go on to win the World Series championship that year. So the fact that Moore pitched an absolute gem against the World Series champions definitely stuck out for me, especially after Moore produced inconsistent starts during the regular season when he came to San Francisco. All right, moving on to the next postseason honorable mention, and that's going to be Barry Zito pitching 7.2 scoreless innings while striking out six batters against the St. Louis Cardinals during the 2012 NLCS. Now, after already staging a comeback against the Reds when they were down 2-0 the series prior, the Giants found themselves down 3-0 against the St. Louis Cardinals, and the ball was in Barry Zito's hand. Which, if you know his history in a Giants uniform, then you also know that Giants fans were experiencing anything but peace when watching this game. However, Barry Zito would go on to pitch one of the best games he has ever pitched in a Giants uniform against the Cards, and the Giants would go on to win this game and eventually the series. This performance from Zito stands out to me because if the Giants lose this game, then they are eliminated from the 2012 postseason. So the fact that Zito, of all pitchers, was the one to help stage the Giants' second comeback of the 2012 postseason really was something special to witness. All right, moving on to the next honorable mention. That's going to be in 2012 during the World Series. Edgar Renteria's go-ahead homer in the World Series. Now with two outs in the top of the seventh, Edgar Renteria stood in the batter's box with two runners on base looking to do some damage against the Rangers ace Cliff Lee. The at-bat started off on the right foot after working the count to a favorable 2-0 count. Then, on the third pitch of the at-bat, Renteria smashes a belt-high changeup over the center field fence to put the Giants ahead 3-0. The Rangers would respond with some scoring of their own with a solo home run from Nelson Cruz in the bottom of the seventh. But fortunately for the Giants, that would be the only scoring that happened on the Rangers' side for the rest of the game. And also, the Giants would go on to win the World Series because of this. Now, something else that actually happened in 2010, and this is something that I actually just realized and remembered when I was doing my research throughout all the performances, uh, throughout all these postseasons, and it's that in 2010, I feel like a lot of things that people think about are Cody Ross, Renteria's home run, Tim Lincecum. Obviously, those are great performances, and they deserve all the acknowledgement, but I don't know if you guys realize this, but Matt Cain was absolutely lights out during the 2010 postseason. He pitched 21 consecutive scoreless innings during the 2010 postseason. He pitched three games in the postseason, and this is what we have. NLDS Game 2 versus the Braves. He went 6.2 innings pitched, zero earned runs, 6 Ks. NLCS Game 3 versus the Phillies. Seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, 5 Ks. World Series Game 2 versus the Rangers, 7.2 innings pitch, 0 earned runs, and 2 Ks. Now, maybe it was the fact that he wasn't getting all the strikeouts as compared to Tim Lincecum, but I really don't remember why I can't remember this performance. Hopefully, you guys remembered it. Hopefully, he gets some love for what he did during the 2010 World Series. Uh, the reason why I wanted to put it in honorable mentions is, well, because it needs to be honored. It needs to be recognized. Matt came absolutely dominated. All right, moving on to the list, the main list of performances that have been the most impactful throughout this postseason. Starting with 
the first one, 2010 NLDS, Tim Lincecum strikes out 14 batters against the Braves. This is by far one of the most memorable postseason performances for a number of reasons. First and foremost, this outstanding game from Lincecum came during the first game of the 2010 playoffs. This was our first official playoff game, and this was the first official playoff game I had ever witnessed as a Giants fan. I know I wasn't really of the right age to witness 20 or excuse me 2002, but anyways, moving on. He pitched against the Braves, which ultimately set the tone for the rest of the postseason. Timmy was simply immaculate this night. He pitched a complete game shutout, only allowing two hits and only gave up one walk while striking out 14 Braves hitters, which was definitely not an easy feat considering that he had to face a lineup that featured five-time All-Star Brian McCann, Rookie of the Year candidate Jason Hayward, and the power-hitting first baseman Derek Lee, who had hit 35 home runs and 111 RBIs the year prior. However, despite having heavy hitters in their lineup, the Braves could not get anything done when Timmy was on the mound, which fortunately for us was for the whole game. Lincecum's postseason success would not stop there, obviously, for he produced a 2.43 ERA in the 2010 postseason and struck out 43 batters in 37 innings pitched, including the 10 strikeouts he racked up against the Rangers during the last game of the 2010 World Series. And of course, the biggest reason why this game against the Braves is so memorable for me, at least, is because I was fortunate enough to witness Timmy's dominance in person. I would say this was one of the greatest games I had ever been to, but then I remember that being there to witness Matt Cain's perfect game was also pretty special. Another player that excelled exponentially in the 2010 postseason was Cody Ross in the NLCS when he hit two homers off Roy Halladay. After the Giants successfully moved past the Braves, it was time to take on the Phillies, but more importantly, it was time to take on Roy Halladay, who was by far one of the most dominant pitchers in the entire league. But of course, that didn't matter to Cody Ross at all. In the top of the third inning on a 1-1 count, Ross decided he wanted the Giants to score first when he had a solo home run to deep left field. Normally, players are satisfied with hitting one home run in a game, but Ross decided he needed to do more damage in the top of the fifth when he launched another deep shot off Halliday to left field on a 2-0 count to put the Giants ahead 2-1. The way Ross hit in the NLCS against the Phillies earned him the NLCS MVP award after hitting three home runs, two doubles, and producing a 375 batting average. And the way he hit throughout the entire postseason definitely helped the Giants win their first World Series in 56 years. All right, the next player that needs to be recognized for their postseason performance is Mr. Connor Gillespie for his postseason performance in 2016. 2016 was another even year the Giants made the playoffs, and just like 2014, they found themselves having to win a wildcard game in order to advance. San Francisco had to take on the New York Mets in a single elimination, excuse me, single elimination game that featured a dominating pitcher's duel between Noah Syndergaard, who pitched seven innings of shutout baseball while striking out 10 batters, and Madison Bumgarner, who pitched a complete game shutout while striking out six Mets hitters, thus leaving the fate of the game to another underdog whose name might not have been recognizable to most, Mr. Connor Gillespie. And, like Ryan Vogelsong, Gillespie was a player who found more success their second time around in a Giants uniform. After Syndergaard was taken out of the game, Gillespie had to face the hard-throwing Jerry's Familia in the top of the ninth inning. 
and a 1-1 count with one out and two runners on. Gillespie absolutely crushed a 96-mile-per-hour fastball over the right field fence, giving the Giants a 3-0 lead and also the first run scored of the entire game. Bumgarner, of course, had no problem closing out the game once Gillespie gave him a cushion lead heading into the bottom of the ninth inning. The Giants would move on to face the Cubs, and Gillespie would continue to produce in a big way. Throughout the entire 2016 postseason, which only consisted of five games for the Giants that year, Gillespie played in all five games and produced a batting average of 421. He accumulated eight hits, including the legendary three-run homer in the ninth inning during the wildcard game, but also the even more legendary two-run triple he hit off Araldis Chapman's 102-mile-per-hour fastball in the bottom of the eighth inning to give the Giants the lead. This postseason performance does not rank as high as most simply because the Giants postseason run in 2016 was not as extensive as ones in the past. However, I still believe Gillespie's home run against the Mets and triple against the Cubs were still some of the greatest moments of the 2010s that deserve to be remembered despite walking away without a ring. Okay, for these next few postseason performances, we are going to be turning back the clock to 2012 and we're going to be staying there for a little bit. All right, for the first one, Buster Posey's Grand Slam in the NLDS. I'm sure you all remember exactly what you were doing when Posey hit a Grand Slam off Matt Latos of the Reds in Game 5 of the NLDS in 2012, because I sure do. Unfortunately, Game 5 was played during the day, but no worries, that just meant the amazing Unipro Sarah High School, yes, I was still in high school at the time, allowed the students to watch the game in the cafeteria at lunchtime. Once Posey sent the ball over the fence, the place absolutely erupted. Not only was food flying everywhere, but I'm pretty sure I saw some bodies that also flew across the room. The Giants were already winning the game 2-0 at this point, but the Grand Slam not only solidified the win in this game, but it also solidified the Giants moving on to the next round of the playoffs. Alright, as I mentioned, sticking in 2012, Marco Scudero becomes a legend against the Cardinals in the 2012 NLCS. Speaking of the next round of playoffs, once the Giants had defeated the Reds, they were scheduled to take on the St. Louis Cardinals for the NLCS series, which is also where Marco Scudero left his mark in Giants history. After being virtually non-existent during the series against the Reds, as his 150 batting average in the series would suggest, Scudero became a completely different player when he played the Cardinals. The series went a full seven games and Scudero played all seven and produced a batting average of 500 while collecting 14 hits, including three doubles. He produced six multi-hit games out of the seven and would go on to receive the NLCS MVP award. And like Cody Ross and Connor Gillespie, Marco Scudero became an underdog hero for Giants fans all over the world and the franchise as a whole. Now, I know I've just mentioned some pretty amazing postseason performances in 2012, but this next one here by far is my favorite. 2012 playoffs, Tim Lincecum transitioning to the bullpen. This transition stands out to me for two reasons. One, Timmy was very, very good when he was using the bullpen in 2012. And two, as a two-time Cy Young Award winner and already a World Series champion because of the way he played specifically, for him to be asked to transition to a bullpen role, having him respond by saying, I'll do whatever it takes in order for the team to have the best shot at winning, truly was a selfless response from Timmy. And honestly, if the Giants didn't have him in the bullpen in 2012, I really don't know if they win the whole thing. He made six different appearances in 2012 postseason and pitched a total of 17.2 innings and produced a 2.55 ERA while striking out 20 batters. 
Some outings that stand out specifically are Game 4 against the Reds in NLDS when he pitched four innings of relief and struck out six Reds hitters while only giving up one run and, of course, the World Series. During the World Series, Timmy made two appearances and pitched a total of 4.2 innings, and he did not give up a single hit or run in those two outings. The only thing he gave up was one walk. Oh, and he struck out eight batters. I truly believe one of the biggest reasons why the Giants were able to win in 2012 was because of how selfless and versatile Timmy was in moving to the bullpen. Alright, these next two memorable moments came from the two Brandons. 2014 wildcard game, Brandon Crawford smacks a grand slam against the Pirates. In the top of the fourth inning, bases were loaded for Mr. Brandon Crawford as he faced Pirates pitcher Edison Volquez. Volquez had worked Crawford to a two-strike count, but then paid the price when he left a breaking curveball up in the zone. Crawford turned on the pitch and, of course, had sent it deep to right field, silencing the Pittsburgh Pirates crowd, and that was also the only scoring that was needed in order for, the, for Bumgarner to do his thing and for the Giants to move on to the NLDS against the Washington Nationals. Which brings us to our next postseason moment, which happened in this series. 2014. NLDS, Brandon Belt's go-ahead homer in the top of the 18th inning. Game 2 of the 2014 NLDS Giants vs. Nationals is currently tied for the longest postseason game in MLB history along with Game 3 of the 2018 World Series which featured the Dodgers and Red Sox. Both games went 18 innings, but the World Series game was played for 7 hours and 20 minutes as opposed to the NLDS game that was played for 6 hours and 23 minutes. The Nats held a 1-0 lead entering the ninth inning in Washington, and Jordan Zimmerman was dominating. The righty had thrown eight shutout innings, and he took the mound for the top of the ninth. He got two quick outs, giving him 20 straight batters retired, but then walked Joe Panic. Matt Williams replaced Zimmerman with Drew Storen, who allowed a single to Buster Posey and a game-tying double to Pablo Sandoval. The Giants almost took the lead there, but Posey was thrown out at the plate to keep the game tied. From there, neither team scored for the next eight innings. Finally, in the top of the 18th, Brandon Belt homered off Tanner Rourke to break the tie after going 0-6 earlier in the game, and the Giants would go on to hold the lead. That homer and what would end up being the win put the Giants ahead of the Nationals in the series 2-0, heading back to San Francisco for the next two games, and the Giants would end up winning the series to move on to the NLCS series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Where we have our next iconic and memorable postseason moment. Travis Ishikawa's pennant-clitching walk-off homer in the 2014 NLCS. Heading into Game 5 of the NLCS against the Cardinals in 2014, the Giants were sitting pretty with a three-run lead in the series. Michael Morse had just tied the game with a solo shot in the bottom of the 8th inning to make the score 3-3. Come to the bottom of the ninth inning, Travis Ishikawa steps into the box with one out and two runners on thanks to a single from Pablo Sandoval and a four-pitch walk drawn by Brandon Belt. Michael Walker would continue to throw two more balls making the count 2-0 to Ishikawa, and the next pitch would go down as one of the most memorable moments in Giants history. Waka sends a 96-mile-per-hour fastball down and into Ishikawa, only to be hit 400 feet over the right field wall at Oracle Park, ending the game and sending the Giants to their third World Series in five years. Like the Posey Grand Slam, I'm sure you all remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when you watched or listened to this happen in real time. 
I'll never forget Joe Buck's voice as soon as the ball was hit. Travis Ishikawa hits one into right. The Giants win the pennant. Folks, before we dive into the next two players I want to mention and their postseason performances they were able to put on display during the playoffs, I just want to take this time to thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, hopefully it's been entertaining enough. If it hasn't been yet, then go ahead and stick around in order to hear me talk about the two best postseason performances in Giants history, in my opinion. Folks, just a quick reminder, you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about the show because without you guys as listeners and without your support, then I'm just talking to myself for 30 minutes when I record this show. All right, moving on to our next postseason performer that stands out among the rest, and that's going to be postseason Panda. If you, will, if you want to know what it looks like to absolutely dominate in the postseason, then all you have to do is look at the postseason highlights from Pablo Sandoval. In 2012, Pablo hit six total home runs and produced a 364 batting average during the 2012 postseason. And of course, let's not forget that three of those six postseason homers came in game one of the 2012 World Series. I would personally love to sit down with Justin Verlander and ask him which homers felt worse. The two homers he gave up to Pablo in game one of 2012 or the homer he gave up to Juan Soto during the 2019 World Series versus the Nationals. During 2012, Pablo accumulated five doubles and 24 total hits and would also receive the 2012 World Series MVP award, permanently leaving his mark in baseball history forever. And not to mention, his name will forever be associated with Albert Pujols, Babe Ruth, and Reggie Jackson as the only four players in baseball history to hit three home runs in a World Series game. And the hitting would not stop there, because in 2014, that was special as well. Although Pablo didn't quite give the same curtain call in the home run category, he still made his presence known when he produced a 366 batting average during the 2014 postseason. And like the 2012 World Series, Pablo showed up big time again when he produced a 429 batting average, collecting 12 hits, including three doubles just in the World Series alone. Pablo finished his playoff run with the Giants, producing 15 total multi-hit postseason games if you combine 2012 and 2014 together, making him one of the most successful hitters in postseason history. But of course, Randy Arauzarena might have something to say about that. Pablo might have actually had a shot at winning the World Series MVP again in 2014 if it weren't for the last player I'm going to mention today on this list. That's right, folks. You've probably guessed it by now. But the way Madison Bumgarner pitched during the 2014 postseason and World Series single-handedly placed him at the top of the list of most impactful postseason performances in Giants history. Now, as you probably know, Bumgarner set a few records during that postseason run, such as the lowest ERA in a World Series with a 0.43 ERA in 21 innings since Los Angeles Dodgers legend Sandy Koufax posted a 0.38 mark over 24 innings against the Minnesota Twins in 1965 World Series. But Bumgarner stands alone when it comes to the lowest career World Series ERA, which he commands a 0.25 career ERA over 36 innings pitched in the World Series. So that's combined 2010 World Series, 2012 World Series, and 2014 World Series. Bumgarner also set the record for most innings pitched in a single postseason with 52.2 innings pitched, surpassing Kurt Schilling's 48.1 from the 2001 season. 
And lastly, this isn't a record, but the fact that he produced a 1.03 ERA during the 2014 postseason in 52.2 innings pitched made him one of the most dominating and successful pitchers in postseason history. Some notable performances that come to mind when I think about that postseason is the wild card game against the Pirates when he pitched a complete game shutout while striking out 10 batters. Game 1 of the NLCS against the Cardinals when he pitched 7.2 innings without giving up a run while striking out 7. And of course, the World Series. Along with pitching 7 innings of 1 run ball and striking out 5 in Game 1 of the World Series, Bumgarner would go on to make 2 more appearances. Game 5 when he pitched another complete game shutout while striking out 8 Royals hitters and Game 7 when he entered the game in the 5th inning, only to stay in and pitch 5 more innings, earning him the save that game and his 3rd World Series ring in 5 years. Alright everybody, that is going to be all for today's episode. Hopefully it was entertaining enough for you, especially when I talked about Pablo and Madison Bumgarner. If not, I apologize. Uh, maybe we could work out something I'll Venmo you five bucks or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Or I'll just do a better job on my next episode. Folks, just want to remind you, like I've already done already, that the Say Hey podcast could be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can also rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. Our goal is that we want to make this podcast the most successful Giants podcast the world has ever seen. And I personally believe that we are well on our way of achieving that goal. Folks, once you're done listening to this episode, if you have nothing to do for the rest of your day or the rest of your week, then I definitely recommend going on YouTube just to relive some of the highlights that I mentioned in this episode. The postseason baseball that was played during the Dynasty years and 2016 honestly might be some of the best postseason baseball in Giants history, so it's definitely worth another watch in my opinion. Folks, I hope you have a great rest of your week. The next episode will also be dropping on Tuesdays, as every show does every week, still sticking to one show a week. And folks, please continue to stay smart and stay safe out there. And of course, most importantly, go Giants. <laughs>